This is Emerging Possibilities, powered by Volvo Group Australia. Here we talk to industry experts about the future of mobility and how it will shape both our lives and the world we live in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Emerging Possibilities, powered by Volvo Group Australia. Our guest today is uh, Alex Boloff, Business Development Manager for Bus and Truck Charging Solutions. Did I just make up a job title? That one sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'd yeah, take that. We'll run I'm, with the, that. I'm the sector lead for bus, but I also do a lot of work around trucking and logistics as well. I'm actually used to having the most boring job title in the room now. It's um, starting to... Yeah, no one's beaten yet. Yeah, and we've allowed Tim back into the studio too, so... Thank you well, very much for that. I appreciate it. Exile. Yeah, <laughs> I like my hiatus. I, I learned a lot. <laughs> Have I told you we've been to Europe recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, thought I, you, I, thought, I thought you said it earlier than that. Oh, okay. Cool. I just thought I'd better mention that. <laughs> anyway, enough about us. Alex, maybe tell us a little bit about your background because, like, you're the charging guy. So, and we've gotten a fair way into this series without really tackling charging. And more and more of the conversations we have where people are accepting product, but uh, now got charging questions. So, um, but anyway, give us a bit of background. Yeah, mate, sure thing. So, I've got a like slightly interesting or twisted journey that's brought me to uh, working at Jet Charge and being a, an EV infrastructure expert. I started off studying chemical engineering ages ago. And even before that, as a kid, I was always like pulling the backs off the remote before I could walk and pulling the batteries out and then like hiding them everywhere all over the house. So I've always been a little bit of a tinkerer and wanting to like understand things and learn how they work properly. I turned that into a chemical engineering degree and even had the gusto for some reason to go and complete a master's in chemical engineering as well. Got all the way to the end of it and was like, I don't really want to go work in mining or petrochemicals refining, which are kind of a lot of the options that are available to a graduate in Brisbane. And I heard about this gig down in Newcastle with a company called Keolis Downer with something to do with a battery-operated train or tram. And I was like, that sounds pretty interesting. And that started my journey into the public transport world, which if you talk to a lot of people, especially those working in bus, they'll say, I never pictured myself working in the bus industry, but here I am. And I've been here for decades and decades. I haven't quite been there for that long yet. But Working for KD, I uh, delivered a, a lot of different contractual projects in their new contracts that they were winning around Newcastle and all over Australia. Did a bunch of cool things. I refurbished a heritage ferry fleet, ran a wayfinding program to like update a bunch of bus stop signs all around Newcastle, and then got onto a, a good wicket with new mobilities, so launching on-demand and autonomous vehicle services, which is actually how Tim and I crossed paths a That's year right. or so ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In the uh, RACQ shuttle at Redlands. At Redlands. First on-land AV trial, from memory. Yeah, 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 that's right. Operating on the streets, the fine streets of Rabia Bay. Yeah, that's right. Which is another interesting case of like cutting-edge technology interfacing in with sort of everyday life for people. So that's a whole separate podcast, so I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could talk about that one for a while because yeah, there was sure. a lot of ins and outs on how that actually got operational. Absolutely. <laughs> and so all in all, I spent about four years plus, four or five, at Keolis Down Up. The last two of which, after the New South Wales bus EOI came out for electric buses, I uh, was working pretty heavily into operational transition, depot design, charging equipment, all the rest, which last year, an opportunity came up to work at Jet Charge, and I'm doing all that stuff full-time uh, and really enjoying it. So given that background, what's the attraction with charging like uh, and EVs? So like, as you said, it's pretty wide and varied. So uh, what drives that? Well, for me, like personally, it's a very intricate and interesting problem to be able to solve. That's the sort of technical engineering satisfaction level to it. 
Of course, then there's working public transport and working to decarbonize and electrify fleet. Those two things, are, you know, they're both like a social good in a way because we're getting people out of cars and then we're doing so in a form of transport that vastly reduces carbon emissions as well. So there's that sort of multi-layered efficiency that comes in electrifying and decarbonizing public transport, which for me, it's, it's a bit of like a satisfies the greenie inside of me, I think. So that's definitely a reason to get behind the electric bus transition. I think for me as well, talking about like what drives you, I'm not putting words in your mouth, any stretch of imagination, but you know, you talk about tinkering from a younger age and all the rest of it. And, you know, in any emerging area, there's a level of tinkering that has to go on to refine what's available. And in this space, for example, well, you know better than I do with the charging side of things, but we have so much technology at our hands that we can deploy. So we're no longer as engineers putting in the latest technology because it's the latest technology can actually do something new and exciting. We're now choosing. You know, we've almost, almost got that user-centered design around how does a fleet operate? What does charging do? Oh, good. I have multiple tools at my discretion and which I can play. So you're now optimizing and refining the solutions you're doing as well. Yeah, so, absolutely. So you do agree with me 100% on that? <laughs> Excellent point. Thank you very much. No, I mean, you're perfectly right. Like, I think we'll sort of get into this as the discussion goes on. But in terms of what it takes to electrify an operation to varying mm. degrees of completeness, there's enough maturity in the products around the infrastructure side of things that there's a lot of optionality to pick mm. from, basically. Not only is there optionality, they're products that you can kind of stand behind to yeah. run commercially for yep. over 10 years or something if you take good care of them. Mm. And so- That topic will come up a fair bit, yeah, taking care so. of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And so it means you're not just trying to innovate new products, but it's really about sort of combining those products into a commercial offer and an operational package that has a like pretty tangible, what do you call it, tangible benefits for people's lives. So yeah. we're taking technology and now putting it into day-to-day use commercially. I think as well, talking about this, like, you know, talking about a maturity, like we've got a maturity in market, maturity in product that is quite high already, but that's not to discount what the future looks like. And, you know, it's, it's still ever evolving, but we've got the tools now to do really good work and a lot of good deployments going ahead. Yeah, 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 definitely. And to my point, a lot of the products are mature, but mm. the ways that we're combining them and the commercial models that are getting wrapped around them are not. And so that's mm. that's but, part of the challenge. So I suppose going back a step and probably from a more high level point of view, like what are the fundamentals that are required to set up a, a charging solution for a customer, whether it be a bus, truck or, or otherwise, right? Like I feel like this is where the voodoo is, really. No, absolutely. So day one or... Hopefully, day minus 12 months, uh, you've bought your new truck or your new bus, and you're thinking about how you're going to get electrons from the grid into the battery in your vehicle. And essentially, for Jet Charge and for a lot of infrastructure providers, bridging that gap between whatever the, the high voltage line out on the street and the battery pack inside your vehicle is what we do. It's our entire business. So, if you step back in terms of what you need, backwards from the vehicle, you have to have a charger which converts the AC current in the grid to a DC current which is then fed into your vehicle. And I think within the EV market in terms of infrastructure, those charges, especially the DC ones, um, or AC, I'm just forgetting an entire yeah, <laughs> category yeah. there, but anyway, we'll get to it. Those charges tend to like occupy the majority of people's headspace when you think about EV charging. You think about and that's, I think that's the important point is that, mm. you know, and when it comes to larger fleets or the flexibility, DC fast charging isn't just about turning around the vehicle, but is optimizing your charging rates, you know, for multiple vehicles on a depot, you know, DC gives you more flexibility mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. AC is is cheaper, easier, but longer term to charge. You have to use the X number of hours to use for that charger. You can't turn it on and off as off-peak and on-peak pricing comes on or as there's 
more capacity on the site to deliver the yeah. DC side is probably more important, I guess, for the larger scale side of things. But yes, we shouldn't forget AC because in terms of for us on the truck side and bus, so I guess there must be might be some factors out there as well. An AC overnight charging operation is relatively easy, especially in those one one truck, one vehicle operations. But isn't faster better? Oh, Alex, <laughs> I'm gonna let you handle that one actually. Uh, <laughs> if well, you, if you're not paying, yeah, yeah, that's well, a yeah. You know, it, it, it takes me. Yeah. Just say it takes me 15 minutes to fill up a prime mover at, at a high flow diesel pump. Mm-hmm. So discuss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, Tim, I, will, I will back you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, we've talked about the two different types of charges. And so keeping in that, that journey from the vehicle out to the grid, starting with the charges, there's AC and there's DC. Going back to first principles, your batteries all run on DC current. They're pushing electrons out and receiving them back in. Our energy in the grid is AC. And so somehow that energy in the grid needs to get converted from AC to DC. Now, you can either do that on board your vehicle with a a little rectifier that converts the AC current from the grid to DC current in the vehicle, or you can do that with an off-board charger that does that exact same thing, but sitting on on the the tarmac at your depot. At a faster rate normally as well. Well, Almost always a faster rate. So, I mean, why can it be a faster rate? Mm. If you need to have it inside the vehicle, that's cost and weight and space that gets taken up inside your, your vehicle platform. Mm. And so there are limitations as to how big you can make that onboard charger and therefore how much power you can get out of it to charge a battery. Whereas if your charge is positioned offboard somewhere else in your depot, you can make it as big as you like in theory and use that to charge your vehicles. So for that reason, you'll often see AC chargers are lower power than DC chargers. In the passenger vehicle space, cars of AC can charge seven to 18 kilowatts generally at the moment. Some are higher, but that's kind of the edge case at the moment. I think in some of the commercial trucks, we're seeing 22 kilowatts as the standard for AC charging with you know potential specs going higher up to 40 or so. Similarly, in buses, there's been AC charging up to 80, but that's about as, as high as it goes. Now, on the DC side of things, it almost starts at about 20 and then goes up again to as high as you want. So what is that? Maybe 600 odd kilowatts is sort of what you can buy pretty readily on the market today. Now, to your question, why don't we all just buy DC chargers? Because that seems great. As a rule of thumb, there's generally an order of magnitude difference in cost between an AC and a DC charger. So a 22 kilowatt AC might cost you 1,500 to two grand. 20 kilowatt or 24 kilowatt DC charger, it's costing you 20 grand. So there's a pretty big cost difference, which will drive a lot of commercial decisions for operators. I think overall time is, you know, time is money from operator point of view, Mm -hmm. but if we can maximize the amount of time that's being charged, a vehicle is being charged and we can minimize the cost. There is no point if a vehicle is standing still overnight for, I'll just use round numbers, 10 hours. If the vehicle is charged in two hours and it sits there for eight, you've overcapitalized on the charger. But if you do need to turn that vehicle around in to do a back-to-back shift or add in a whole lot during a lunch break or all the rest of it, DC fast charging opens up much more capability on the vehicle as well. But there are considerations for each and other, you know, what's best for the site, what's best for the user and what's best for the vehicle, I guess, as well. So what do you find in conversations with customers? Do you like that balance between productivity and cost effectiveness? Mm. Like... Is there like an XY axis that's where it sort of crosses over and people <laughs> a nice, just- A nice comfortable minimum that you can just circle <laughs> with your red pen and design <laughs> yeah. for. In a way, for better or worse, once you have that DC charging in and you can charge at faster rates, you can get different configurations of charges that all allow you to optimize your fleet in different ways. 
So Tim, to your point, you could charge a vehicle in two hours with a DC charger and let it sit there and you've mm. effectively overcapitalized or overdesigned by four times or something if you've got an, an eight-hour window. Mm. You could drive that bus away or drive that truck away and drive another one in and charge that as well, increase your, your efficiency. Or you can have multiple plugs coming off one charger and then the charger itself can just divvy power out across a whole night. So the challenge for designers, I guess, and for operators as well who are trying to procure these assets is figuring out when you're hitting a low-cost point in your design. So is it to have a mix of AC and DC? Is it to have all DC and shuffle your fleet around overnight? Is it XYZ, other options? If you add on an additional layer of energy cost on-site storage, the list goes on of additional things. That's when it can become more complicated and you need to do a little bit more due diligence and design work to figure it out. The final point that I would add to that, and one which is very important to my heart, having worked in a bus operation before, is also planning for resilience Mm. and redundancy in your charging system, which is often a very hard thing to sell because you're saying, well, we need to invest in 10% more in your asset mix, which gives you day-to-day zero operational benefit. Maybe I'm probably not. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair. <laughs> not selling that very well. Yeah, but no, no, but it, it, I it, mean, the, so that the very like real practical scenarios are, if you, someone forgets to plug in a truck and no one realizes for two hours, mm-hmm. is your charger fast enough to be able to make up that shortfall? Do you have enough spare energy and power available overnight or during the day or whenever your charging window is to be able to recover for that? If your whole site loses power for two hours because who knows, someone trips and flicks a switch and blows a supply fuse or any number of other scenarios that you might need to plan for in the future. How readily can your operation recover? Will you be able to meet your demand the next day? For all of these operators, there's very real commercial and contractual impacts that happen if they don't meet their operational demand. So trying to put a dollar figure on that is really difficult because at the end of the day, it's a risk decision, Mm. but it's always something that we try and quantify with numbers in some way so that people get a feel for just what they're paying for and then what the benefit from it can be. It's probably a little bit early in the journey now to actually quantify what the capital value to a property would be though, right? Like, so, Mm. because it's such an involved thing to install like a charging network, surely there's some value in that, like in terms of the value of your actual premises, if you've made that investment already. Just saying, just throwing it Yeah, out. yeah, absolutely. And the topic of residual value in financing these assets is yep. something that I will be very open in saying is far beyond me at this particular point in time. Well, it's not established. Um, it, it, exactly. It's, it's exactly. so rudimentary and it's in early days that yeah. you know, it's, it's very hard to apply the appropriate risk for how much that value should be held because, mm-hmm. you know, Matt, to your point, like we see property valuations a little bit higher or at least it's a good sale when there's, I might even talk residentially and commercially there, but with solar on the roof because, oh, it's already there, I don't have to worry about it. And I think, you know, charging will probably come to that. Bus depots, obviously, to a whole other level than, mm-hmm. than most other places. But even if you've got a, a single workshop and you're ready to take on electric vehicles because you have a charger, and it's already done and, you know, set and done. So there's value there in, in taking that step, I think, overall to the site. And it's funny when I think of charging, I think um, I don't mind meeting new people. So uh, charging my EV at, at a slow site's fine, but my <laughs> wife doesn't like having to talk to strangers, so she tends to hide in the car reading the newspaper. So um, All I'm thinking about <laughs> is those poor people who have to talk to you when you're at a slow charger more than anything. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah I, I put it on the flat cap and well as you go, oh, yeah, is that yeah, a missing yeah. loaf? Um, <laughs> um, no, but it is. I think that's a good point. It's like some of these charging opportunities and, and what you do while you charge also comes into consideration. So, you know, if we're fast charging at lunchtime, then you eat. If you're doing for buses, there's obviously mandatory layovers for when those vehicles need to stop halfway through their route or halfway through their day or whatever it is, like a restroom break 
have a charger with our trucks, for example, as well, with our unloading and loading, using that opportunity. It's not just about the time at night and planning for the depot. We can get creative with where the vehicles are going regardless throughout the day in adding something. And it can be a 22 kilowatt AC charger. It can be something that's much, much faster. Using that time to maximize where our charging windows is, is pretty effective and a conversation we have a lot. I should have you on the show more often. Well, I'm glad to be back. Yeah. I'm glad to be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um, I think like it's a really valid point. Like ultimately time is money for all of these operations. And so the less time you have to park your vehicles up in your charging area to fill them up, the better but that's going to be. Flip it on the other you. side, but time is also money when you're investing in charging infrastructure. That's, that's very true. <laughs> and I think, you know, all of these systems and indeed if you're looking at your network, wherever your vehicles run, where they go, when they go, solving that problem is one thing at your own depot. And then putting capacity for opportunity charging out on the network is another. Mm. I think where we're at at the moment, everyone's just trying to get their sort of base case at home charging sorted out. Alongside all of that, there's all these other things, figuring out is there an IR risk asking drivers or existing staff to plug in vehicles? Is it a manual handling risk? What are the impacts on scheduling, rostering going to be for the operation? And is there a commercial impact from that as well? Then there's like this whole other raft of systems integration about, you know, is my dispatch and rostering going to be able to incorporate information from the electric vehicles and stabilize any, uh, any disturbances that occur in the operation? So, Suffice to say, there's a fair bit on the plate for a lot of these companies who are moving quickly to start Mm. off and get their electric fleets in place. But obviously, as time goes on, industry and those operators are going to get more and more confident, comfortable and capable in running these services. And I think that's when we'll start to see all these like extra little efficiencies like charges in your unloading bays Mm. or on-route charging at certain termini for buses. That'll all start coming into play. Sorry, just on that note about you saying, you know, there's a lot on the plate for these people who are fast moving. I think why... Well, personally, why I enjoy working in an emerging space like this is that we do partner a lot together to decouple that risk and make it as seamless as possible. You know, mm. we know our vehicles and we have an input so much so on what the charging requirements are. And we do those simulations and calculations on that to hand over the likes of Jet Charge to then help them with the other side of things. You know, I know buses are different with dispatching and rostering, you know, slightly, but on the, I'll say from the truck side of things, we present that on a platter almost like we do those simulations we hand over that tool Mm. but the point i'm trying to make is that there is a lot to do i think there is some very competent people out there and partners out there and i I like the fact that in this industry overall no one's really afraid to not work together no one's here keen to own the pie and take over stakeholders in general it's like well i don't have all the answers to charging and in this case you know probably don't have all the answers to the truck but I've- not yet not yet okay yeah. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll get there you'll get there but you know overall it's really progressing well i think in a, a harmonious way as an industry i agree and i'm always every project we work on not just us together but you know collectively as the industry mm. it's always an opportunity for us to understand more about what the other stakeholders and ecosystem partners both need and specify from their own side yep. and there's a real opportunity for us as we go forward into you know the next phase of projects to try and come up with more complete products that aren't just a charging system or a vehicle or you name it, a technology platform, Mm. being able to more clearly articulate when there are interfaces and how they need to be specified. For example, 
charger voltage response versus vehicle mm. battery voltage. All of those like detailed type of we things. We haven't discussed that yet, but it's been <laughs> in my hot topic the last two weeks. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, we should talk. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but like the more experience we get and the more we understand what everyone's capabilities are, the more we'll be able to de-risk it within our own product offerings, which in the end will make things easier for the end user. Mm. So that's an exciting thing that we get to work on, I think, mm. in, in this mm. space. On the journey so far, because it's, I mean, bus has been sort of trundling away a little bit longer than, than trucks, really. Putting it simply, I suppose, what are the biggest roadblocks that you come across when setting up these sort of solutions? Because, I mean, as an end user, as a customer, you just want it to be seamless. You want an end-to-end solution. You don't want to be speaking to mm-hmm. a whole bunch of different people and getting a whole bunch of conflicting advice either. But what are the big ticket items that get in the way? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the main ones, well, let's be honest, like price and capital cost is a factor for a lot of these operations or projects that are coming up rather. And usually at the moment, they're not going ahead without some form of subsidy, especially in the in the trucking space, which I think that's probably a necessary step to kick off the industry, bring down like cost per unit of production, I guess, and make things a bit more mainstream. From an infrastructure perspective specifically, I guess there's probably two things that are most challenging. The first one is space, just trying to fit in the charging infrastructure into depots that are already generally pretty space constrained. At the end of the day, real estate and your square footage or square meterage is value. And so everyone wants to you know, optimize the value of their property by you know, squeezing in as much operations as they can. When you come to put in charges, you not only, worst case scenario, need to you know, cut trenches and install cabling all through your yards. That's a you know, pretty big disturbance to the operation, but then actually have that infrastructure sitting there as well. It takes up space. And so one thing that we really try and do from day one when we're delivering projects is map out what not only this phase of the transition looks like, but maybe the next 10 or 20 years of fleet transition. So we can say, sure, you've got this project on the cards. You're going to do 40 vehicles or something. You've actually got a fleet of 120. So how are you going to fit all them in in X year's time? Where are you going to get your power from? What's that all going to look like? So certainly that step of master planning goes a long way to trying to figure out how to fit everything together but doesn't necessarily solve it. And the flip side of it, of course, is making sure that whatever arrangement you propose within a site is operational as well. So it doesn't introduce unnecessary reversing or tight turning circles that increase your probability of crashing into a charger or a bollard or something. That never happens. I've never seen that on social media. (laughs) uh, Me either. Uh, I swear. I think overall, you know, talking about that master planning piece of it as well as we went back to the conversation around investing in faster charges and that and what that enables, but, and, you know, and coupled in with the, you said the government subsidized side of things with truck fleet electrification. I think overall, in terms of deploying these, the, the upfront or the first to move is significant. And that might be as an industry in general or your, you know, a company's first depot, like mm-hmm. it's a, or their first vehicle. You've overspecced the cabling, you've done whatever else, but it means going from one to 10 to 40 to 120, you have a clearer, easier path. Cause we've all heard those, you probably experienced those horror stories where you've come back up and dug up concrete again. Mm-hmm. I hope you haven't, but, uh, <laughs> no comment. Yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't my concrete to begin with. Yeah. But, you know, like making sure that, again, we have, there's a, a spiral we all go down to to sell at the lowest price mm. and put in something that solves a question asked of us today. But longer term, we're thinking about how this does scale, how there is a plausible way for someone to actually get a return on investment that isn't a test vehicle and a first 10% of their contract necessity. So, 
we're kind of focusing on cost here, but like, how does that compare to putting in underground diesel tanks and bowsers and stuff like that? That isn't a cheap undertaking either. Yeah, but it's half the time it's done already, Matt. They're realizing their investment over how many years. So I think that's coming back to charging infrastructure. Did you just mansplain? You mansplained. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I sorry? I'm not sure. But I think overall, like, we're going to have that same consideration experience when it comes to charging infrastructure is that we'll have it invested. It'll be on site. So it goes back to your question around property values increasing well it's done we're realizing the value of these things well and truly into the future you've dug the trench once you've put in the right cabling once and you start to realize it over time is the fact that it you know it's 10 20 years from now and it's easier or you know you don't have to think about it it's fully integrated into your operations way of thinking all the rest of it now you have the high cost of pulling out your diesel tank and you know rectifying your contaminants in the ground no tunneling projects have had to experience that right no we always uh (laughs) we always joke around the office that there's going to be a good business in pulling out underground petrol and diesel tanks Mm. in the next sort of 20 to 40 years Mm. in australia for sure well they've got such a finite lifespan anyway like i mean you know uh, everything you know mostly everything does but (laughs) at some point in time they're going to leak or they have leaked or they're so old no one knows they're there. Or they've got some strange algae growing in them or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's stories of bad fuel around the country. So, mm, mm. But going back to, see, I managed to bring it back to a fossil fuel. No, and please do. It's always you know? good. No, we, 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 that's <laughs> we're here to talk about the comparison, right? And, and, how, and to be fair, the similarities of, of what we did going from horses to internal combustion and probably internal combustion to now is that, you know, those same conversations, those same considerations as we make those progress are being redone well just as an aside i was mildly resentful yesterday when i had to go and fuel up my other fossil fuel powered car because the the i'd been putting it off for so long and the fuel light was on i'm like i have to go somewhere to do this <laughs> yeah yeah that's very true <laughs> certainly a perk of having a having an ev but given the appears to be like the commentary now around electric vehicles in general seems to be calming down a little bit. Everybody's seeming to go, okay, maybe this is a thing. People are starting to drive them, take delivery of them, go, mm-hmm. actually, it's a nice solution. It's, you know, it hasn't taken anything away from me. But in terms of widespread adoption in Australia, are we ready? Just in general, I'm not being bustled truck specific but uh, it comes up in conversation a lot right broken charges Mm. bad information who's looking after this who fixes that you know for sure i mean there's not one rollout and there's not one definition of ready is my short off the cuff answer to that question we'll continue to increase the percentage of new ev sales and we'll continue to roll out new infrastructure improve the standard of public charging and home charging as well as we go on so i think in that sense we will be ready as the transition comes. Having said that, we always, again, talk at Jet Charge that will there be enough electricians to deliver the amount of work? So cables in the ground, charges installed and commissioned, and to keep up with the rate of the rollout. That's certainly going to be a challenge, but I think at the end of the day, that's a problem for industry, which can scale to meet it as there's demand to do so. So no, I'm pretty confident we'll keep running at the problem and, and roll out more charges. As in many cases, the journey that we've been on in Australia, specifically around public charging, almost mirrors what's been happening overseas, just delayed by a couple of years. Mm. And from the position where we sit at Jet Charge, you know, there's a bunch of projects coming down the pipe funded by the federal government future fuels program and other public grants that are just, they'll just increase the quality and number of public charging sites out on the network. So we've been in a rough, a little bit of a rough patch over the last 12 or so months while the industry is scaling up. 
but I think there's a pretty clear acknowledgement of a, a need to do better, which is happening. Good learning experiences, to be fair. And a lot mm. of it coupled with, you know, supply. You're talking about, I asked you for a charge the other day, a certain charger the other day, and I think you gave me a 12-month, you know, lead time on it, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, the, you know, those kind of things happen. And I guess you know, that's a global thing. But in terms of this emerging industry, like there are a lot of learnings from those earlier non-maintenance contracted mm. charges and all the rest of that kind of thing. And, you know, Mac, talking about your question, as a society, are we ready for electrification? I was reflecting on our first podcast we did not that terribly long ago and the conversation, the way we were talking about this was as if it was a very bleeding edge and all the rest of it. But now I think the the normalization of electrification is coming more and more apparent. We just had the highest selling SUV in Australia be an electric car. You know, we're, what are we, fourth and, you know, there's, there's high numbers of volumes of passenger vehicles going forward. I think there's an acceptance of this. The conversations we're having on the Volvo side of things, and this is probably music to your ears, is that, Alex, is that we used to have so much conversation around the product and about what it can do and how you use it and all the rest of it. I'd say we're, we're not, it's, a, it's a, almost a minority of our conversations. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably 70% of our conversations, okay, but how I charge it. So we're not onto the next step. Like, we've almost accepted the vehicles and, well, conversations that I have, we're now onto the next hurdle. Well, how do I charge it? Okay, if it's simple charging, that's okay. But I don't want simple charging. Mm-hmm. I want to mirror my, um, as much as I possible, mirror my operations from today. And I think if we have this conversation, this podcast again in, oh, I might say six months, but 12 months time, we'll be on to the next one as well, optimizing how we get the charging in the vehicle to get more out of it. Because we've got, again, normalized, so many runs on the board, good examples of large-scale electric truck fleets mm-hmm. that have been announced or even deployed within the next 12 months. So overall, I think the conversation's moved a lot. I think we are ready, more so than ready. I think we're actually uptaking and moving forward with this. And the growth, you look at passenger vehicle, that's phenomenal growth to be fair. Yep. But on the, I'll say the fleet, let's say that we call it the fleet side over here with charging and trucks and whatever and, and buses, I think that's uptaking too. Like that's going, that's growing rapidly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all of those projects trucking and fleet, they're, as you say, much longer lead time. Mm. And so whenever there might be three to six months of a concept and tendering period and then another 12 to 18 months of delivery. So there's been a lot of work going on in the background over the last 12 months around that, you know, like pre-procurement. And so we'll just see more and more of this stuff start to get announced and then roll out in the coming 12 plus months, I think. And just to be clear, that 18 months and delay and all the rest of it isn't on the... uh the truck or the charging infrastructure <laughs> side. It's just the due course we have to take to take to do all this, you know. Yeah, 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 due diligence. Yeah. Plus, um, you never quote someone under the amount of time, right? No, say. no, you can't. Or else you're going to shoot yourself on the foot, yeah, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. So I was just sort of reflecting on just those couple of conversations and also when we're talking about build future-proofing charging solutions mm-hmm. and stuff like that, what? does the future of charging look like if we're going to significant mm-hmm. amount of trouble to mm-hmm. install this new solution in our depot or whatever, what's the future look like? Very exciting. To build on Tim's point, that whole concept of like standardization and productization of the key components in the system. So you're talking about it from the, the vehicle side of things, which is really positive to see. Where in certain circumstances getting there from the charging infrastructure side of things. So we're able to put a fixed price around a certain scope of installation that we can then roll out commercially. It helps people who are procuring that infrastructure better understand the cost and 
essentially de-risk and simplify the risks that are involved with rolling out that infrastructure. For us, that's a key step to scaling because we, at the end of the day, you know, if we're going to grow by 10, 100 or more times as the, the amount of vehicles picks up, we need ways to turn the wheel faster and roll the infrastructure out faster. So I think from a a physical equipment and like job delivery perspective, that's something that we're really focusing on. And then there's another sort of arm of jet charge that's working on technology integrated and smart charging products, which I think I sort of touch it peripherally from the work that I do around bus and truck and fleet, but that will become more and more a centerpiece of the way that vehicles are charged. So a few examples, we've been working on the REVS project in the ACT, which is the Realizing Electric Vehicle to Grid Services. And so in that project, we've got a number of Nissan Leafs that are owned by the ACT government. I think there's 50 or 52 odd of them, which are being used with a bidirectional charger to put power back into the grid. Mm. So we've built a technology platform and also assisted with the installation and physical interfacing of the chargers. But we've built a technology platform that's able to accept market signals around should chargers be importing or exporting energy and turns that into like a control strategy and realizes it around the vehicles. So obviously everyone talks about vehicle to grid services being the future. I think at the moment we're still working out the kinks. We're still working through jurisdiction by jurisdiction, certifications for inverter technology, all the rest, but the wheels are very much in motion on vehicle to grid. So that's sort of the holy grail, I guess, not only for passenger vehicle, but for commercial vehicle charging as well. Imagine that in commercial vehicles when you've got half to one megawatt of battery on wheels yeah. and being able to play the electrical grid with that. So yeah, absolutely. I actually thought you were going to go weird and wonderful with the future of uh, charging. That was a, that was a, I was wanting that was a nice to. response. Where, where was Do you want me to go weird and wonderful? Yeah, where's oh. my inductive charging? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, electrified highways, you're driving along charging. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, maybe we'll keep it. Uh, Realisable. Yeah, really, medium term <laughs> for now, Matt. How we go that? But I think overall, like, playing on what Alex just said and adding to that, but refining it, greater technology, capability, size, price, mm-hmm. speed, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say. Like, you know, we start looking to megawatt charging and we've seen a few of those projects announced on different vehicles and, you know, Volvo has their own, obviously, as part of everyone else does with megawatt charging. Like what that enables from a your regulated brake gives you the charge. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have to fill your diesel in 15 minutes, but you have a regulated 15, 45-minute lunch break you have to take as part of your uh, fatigue management well, truck's charged 100%. So what does that actually look like in terms of enabling long haul or back-to-back shifting or whatever that is and really getting these vehicles truly encapsulating, you know, majority of the market? If you're driving on the highway and there's induction charging and <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to pay, you know, it's a toll fee. It's probably still as a, it wouldn't be per kilometre or whatever, but it'd be per kilowatt hour going into your vehicle. Mm-hmm. If you set up enough of those, you are you know, limitless, let's say that. But I think what in terms of, you know, if we're putting down the right bones in some of these master planning with charging, we're going from what's appropriate now and changing that hardware out because we've got the appropriate wiring in the ground and all the rest of it set up, we'll see these realized potential and some nice master planning coming out into fruition. You know, the day we start moving the 50 kilowatt charger out and rolling in the 150 and take the 150 out and roll into the 250, 350, whatever it is, like, and seeing what these vehicles can do truly. Like, now they do a good job and they cover off a decent percentage of what the market can do. But if we're starting to play into the higher percentages and the majority of what's what's out there and operational, I think that's what the future for charging for me looks like is that we're only limited by the 
the human factor. To be yeah. Fair. yeah, yeah, that's true. If you get your design right. Mm. Certainly, I mean, all of those things that you've just mentioned are on the table for rollout over the next, who knows, five, 10, 20 years. And each year amongst charging products, amongst vehicle platforms, we're seeing specs increase and get better, you know, charge times lower, battery sizes increase. Um, and it's understandable for a lot of operators now who are looking to procure fleet charges infrastructure. There's a fair bit of new technology risk that they're having to deal with. And I think to that whole point around master planning and having a, a sort of smart and conscious design, you should be able to do it to minimize you know, the net impact of having to swap infrastructure out after an asset cycle. So you might have your current generation of charges in, you've designed them with your operation with a bit of spare so you can grow in the future. You've got a, a system that works and meets all your operational needs. That might run for eight, 10, 15 years, depending on how you manage your assets. And it'll do a perfectly good job for you. And then by the time you come to the end of that, you can then upgrade and benefit from new technology that's available. So provided you're getting all of your upstream infrastructure in place, which we haven't really touched on, but you know, all of your switchboards, the design of that, the ability to connect in you know, higher power equipment within your same uh, demand limitation, all of that sort of part of a standard design process. So provided you've done all of that right. But you can still stage that, right? Like that's the thing about yeah. this is like it doesn't, yeah. certain thresholds for charging requirement on site may not require you know, everyone says the $2 million substation upgrade and all the rest of it, like one charger, three chargers, four chargers, five chargers, you know, we, whatever it is, can be deployed on, on sites now, but then know what 120 buses looks like or what does my switchboard have to do mm-hmm. at what threshold to get to 60, to get to 120, and then what else further upstream does that look like? It's a, And I think it's about setting, for me anyway, it's about setting out what that staging approach looks like in a realistic term where it's it's concurrent. You know, you're not, you know, going backwards at any step to pull something out or whatever it is. You know what you need to do to yeah. move forward. Because yeah. you know, doing a substation upgrade for one truck because eventually you'll have 120 of them <laughs> shoots down the whole project for one one vehicle, right? Yeah, I don't know if Energex is going to approve that one yeah, for you. Either, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> but you know what that limitation is and what that threshold is. So yep. if I get to 50% of my fleet, then I have to do that. And yep. this is what the rough cost is going to be and, and timing and all the rest of it. So that's the part I think is uh, important part of this journey as well. Yeah, for sure. For us, that's the standard thing that we do now is break down what are the likely number of vehicles or number of charges that you're going to roll your fleet out in, turning that into some some budget like designed and budgetary priced packages of work. So as someone who owns a depot or runs a fleet, you kind of know what's coming down the pipe a couple of years in advance. Yep. So that's cool. all, all standard what we're doing today. For sure. So just laying the bones of a future infrastructure setup, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Dig once. It's a good rule. Yeah. Okay. So you're kind of like the Romans building viaducts. Yeah. Well, well nice. we hope so anyway. We, History we, we, repeating we, itself. Yeah, yeah. We feel well like, like that. I just did that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to finish on another note because this is a burning question for me. Charging etiquette. I've got someone from a charging solutions provider. I know that you're mainly from a bus perspective. Do you charge up when you've got people waiting for a charger or do you just take a little bit? You know, this is the embarrassing thing. I actually drive a petrol car. Oh, well, well you didn't disclose that before you came Not on. Not for lack of trying. Um, we talked about supply, didn't we? Yeah. 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 But I'm waiting. Let, let me put it politely. I'm waiting for some more mass market EVs uh, to come in. Fair enough. 
I think it depends on your personality, Matt, as to how much you uh, give away. Because you know, most vehicles that, 80, that that last percentage from eighty to one hundred percent does take a lot more time than mm. otherwise. So the the right etiquette would be to move on, uh, but it's not exactly mandated yet. Key one is when you reach one hundred percent, move on and allow that someone mm. to get that charger. That's a key one. An argument I actually had with my wife yesterday as we pulled into Interpilly Shopping Centre. She's like, "Oh, look, there's some great EV parking. We could charge." I'm like. We'll be charging for 10 minutes. There's no real point. I'm not leaving the car here. It's fine. No one needs them. No, no. I'm not being Look a good you. You're guy. a good citizen after all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite popular opinion, <laughs> uh, this is why I was allowed back on the podcast because I've, you know, I've changed my ways. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And he stopped trying to explain concepts to me with butcher's paper and crayons. Sometimes it's mandatory for you, Matt. To be fair, it's all part of the learning journey. Yeah. For sure. Well, look, thanks for joining us today, Alex. It's been a pleasure and I've learned a lot because. What, I haven't taught you enough? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for having me on. It's been great. No worries. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, Hank. Thank you for listening to Emerging Possibilities. Send your comments, suggestions, and questions to emerging.possibilities at volvo.com. And of course, remember to rate and review this show.